I have often heard the argument of predestination versus free will. One party says God has sovereign choice over whom he chooses. The other party says if God makes us choose him, where's our free will? This debate has been going on for thousands of years. As believers, can we find comfort knowing that God has chosen us? In this episode of Groundwork, we will look at these passages in Romans 9 through 11 and allow God to use the Apostle Paul to bring us to the grace and truth found in the Word. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are in part four of our six-part series in the book of Romans. And the first part, we talked about how sin is actually part of our lives and God's wrath has been revealed, but also the doctrine of justification came out where we realized that we receive salvation by faith and by faith alone. Yep. Three sections we've been saying in most every episode in this series. The first part is our sin and misery. The second part of Romans, which we're in now, is deliverance or salvation. Still to come will be the uh, service and gratitude part of Romans. But we're right in the middle now. We started with Romans 8 in the previous program. Romans 8 is, as we said in that episode, Daryl, like one giant exclamation mark. It's just nothing but exuberance from Paul, exuberance that we are saved, that we live in Christ, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, nothing, nothing, nothing. We are more than conquerors in Christ. Nobody can say anything bad about us. But having now looked at that, Paul now for these three chapters, it's sort of a very interesting and somewhat tortured part of this letter where Paul begins to wrestle with something that really bothers him, and that is, what about the Jewish people who have rejected Jesus as Messiah? He himself is Jewish. Jesus was Jewish, right? The disciples were all Jewish. Many, many Jewish people came to believe, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Christ, but they didn't all and there were still some who thought they were good with God and yet were rejecting Jesus. And it bothered Paul to no end to figure out, what about them? What about my sisters and brothers who are Jews who haven't gotten the message yet? This is kind of an agonizing uh, question for Paul. Yeah, Paul is in the middle of suffering. And he's torn, like you said, because the Gentiles, are they're receiving the message and they're coming in to become the family great. of God. Yeah. That's good news. But the Jews are the ones who got the revelation of who God was first, mm-hmm. but they're not receiving the good news from Jesus Christ. And Paul speaks about that. And he actually grieves to the point in this chapter where he says, if my name can be blotted out so that all other Israelites mm-hmm. can be brought in, then let that happen. That's how much he loves his people. But he also talks more in depth about it, starting at verse 6. So in chapter 9 here, it is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. But not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by her father Isaac. And yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then should we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. So Paul is using these two examples 
to show that just because you're born genetically under Abraham and Isaac and you follow the law of Moses, it does not make you automatically in the family of God. So he says, not all Israel is Israel. Mm -hmm. And that's his problem. But he also says that the ones who believe by faith are spiritual children of Abraham, just like that's how we got in, because we believed by faith, just like Abraham did. And so there is a new Israel being born out of the belief that comes in Jesus Christ. All right. So it's not automatic that just because you were born into Israel and have the right family tree, that's just the physical side of things, right? The spiritual side is to accept what God reveals. Now, that included all kinds of stuff throughout the Old Testament and throughout the history of Israel. But now the big thing that has to be accepted is that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And if you don't believe that, then don't say that you're saved by your family tree. You know, I mean, sort of like it reminds me of John the Baptist, you know, when some of the Pharisees came out and said, you know, don't just say, oh, we're Abraham's children, so we're fine. You know, John said, God could raise Abraham's children up out of these racks if he wanted to. (laughs) You got to believe you have to have a living faith, not just a a family tree or a heritage. So yeah, that's what Paul is saying here, that although he wishes it were not true because he's agonizing over his Jewish brothers and sisters, the truth is you can't just get saved by your family tree and who your mom and dad was and who your great, 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 great grandpa was. That's one side of the equation, Scott, where you have to believe, you have to repent, you have to choose to receive Jesus. But before that is the whole conversation of God's Mm. sovereign choice. And he is predestined and he has called people. And that's how we got into this ancient argument over the years of predestination. And the essence of that argument comes from these chapters. And even in chapter eight, where we just talked about in the last episode, it says in verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And it's just a quick definition of predestination. It means that God had a purpose and plan that he set in place, and he makes the sovereign choice, not based on what they're going to do, not based on who they're going to be, but because he chose. He chose because he chose. Exactly. Some people have found this predestination thing to be off-putting and scary. Ironically, in the scripture, it's meant to be comforting. God chose you. It wasn't up to you. Thank goodness it wasn't up to you, because as we've seen elsewhere in Romans, particularly as the way Romans 7 ended, if it were up to Scott and Daryl, we'd never do it. We'd never choose right. So God chose us. So it's this is supposed to be comforting. And right, in Romans 3, which we looked at in the second episode, you know, no one is righteous. No, not one. The wrath of God has been revealed. We saw that in the first episode, too from Romans 1, saw in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, right? So that's where we all are. If if God doesn't intervene, if God doesn't predestine, if God doesn't choose, then we are in a very, very bad place. Nobody was wrestling with that more in Paul's day than those who were trying to make sense of the fact that, well, you know, the Jews, Israel, they were the chosen people. This is where God chose through Abraham and then through Abraham's descendants and then through Jacob and then the Israel nation that formed while in slavery in Egypt, right? These are the ones God chose. He did choose them. That's kind of predestination too. But now it turns out not everybody in Israel is Israel, not if they reject God's Christ. 
And that kind of brings us to today, too. Some of us have had these questions like, what about my uncle? He hasn't really received Jesus. What about my friend down the street? What about my neighbor? And so there are a lot of people who don't understand this teaching, and they think God is unfair. They think God is not being just. But as you mentioned it, when you alluded back to Romans 3, God is just because he's holy and he doesn't have to save anyone, but out of his mercy, he chooses to save some. And that is a gift that we all can find comfort in if we're looking for God to make it clear who is called. And I pray that we would be able to share the good news so we wouldn't have to wonder. And some people wonder if this is fair, you know, boy, does this mean the game of life is fixed? It doesn't matter what we do or don't do. Well, you know, something we sometimes forget there is that grace isn't fair. I mean, right. we get what we don't deserve. So it's really not a matter of fairness. It's a matter of justice. It's a matter of God's mercy and a matter of God's grace. But Paul is going to uh, keep wrestling with all this in chapter 10. So we're going to turn to that in just a moment. So stay tuned. Bird watching is a popular hobby. It's a great way to spend time in nature, enjoying the beauty of God's creation. In the Bible, birds serve as symbols and illustrations in God's great story of redemption, reminding us of His presence and the peace He brings. In His grace, God speaks to us through His marvelous creation so that we can more fully enter into His promises. Join today this November for a series of devotions titled Birds of the Air. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose, and we're talking, Daryl, about predestination, God's sovereign choice. We were just in Romans chapter 9 in this, uh, the fourth program of a six-part series on Romans. We know that God chooses us, uh, and his choice isn't based on future knowledge, what will people do. It's just based on God's own freedom to choose. We all were in the same soup, but God has chosen to pull some of us out of that soup, and we thank God for his mercy. Mercy, what we don't deserve, and mercy is a gift to us, and he is good. And if he doesn't have sovereign choice, then he's not God. And that's what we find to be uh, most important in that doctrine of predestination. But now when we turn to chapter 10, we want to talk about a famous set of verses. A lot of these are recurring in a lot of different places. But this set of verses that comes in chapter 10, verses 8 through 11, it says, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim, that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Now, these verses, Scott, you know, have been yep. very powerful all over the church, all over the world. And a lot of them, they lead into a sinner's prayer, if you will, about this, where we believe with our heart, confess with our mouth. Many people have gotten saved during this verse. But I think it's important to look at the context in which Paul is saying it as well. Exactly. And, you know, this leads me a little bit too, Daryl, to think back to the book of Acts, because in, in the book of Acts, the apostles kept bumping into people who by their theology, shouldn't be saved, right? They kept bumping into non-Jewish people who hadn't been circumcised, hadn't followed the law, didn't keep—and you know, the Holy Spirit was in them. 
And, you know, you think of that story from Acts 10 when Peter gets sent to the this Italian uh, Roman soldier centurion's house, uh, Cornelius, and the Spirit falls on them, and Peter's going like, this can't be true. They can't have the Holy Spirit, but they do have the Holy Spirit. Now what? Well, I guess we baptize them as quickly as possible. And so here Paul is saying, look, if somebody says Jesus is Lord, if they believe in their heart that he was raised from the dead— they're a Christian. They Period. got the Spirit. They're a believer. They'll never be put to shame. So, you know, you think that this person can't be saved? If they say these things by the power of the Holy Spirit in them, they are. I agree with what you're saying, but I wanted to zoom back um, because Paul, we talked about in the beginning of this episode, he's torn mm. because there are Israelites, there are fellow Jews that are not believing with their heart. Right. They're not confessing with their mouth. And that is breaking Paul's heart. If only they would turn, if only they would hear this message. The messengers have been sent to them. The good news has come to them, but they have not been willing to hear it. And that's part of his pain. Yeah, so this cuts both ways, right? You run into a Gentile, somebody who, eh, your theology up until now says, well, that person can't be saved. And then the spirit falls on them and they do. But it does go the other way. Here's somebody who is a Jew, who's you know done it right all along, has been part of the chosen people of Israel, but they can't say Jesus is Lord. They won't say Jesus is Lord. They won't acknowledge that God raised him from the dead. And then that goes the other way. And so, you know, Paul goes on to say also, we just got to keep preaching. You know, let's not give up on anybody, whether they're Gentiles or our fellow Jews. They can't believe if they don't hear, right? right. So preach. Preach, preach. Uh, this is the great preaching chapter here in Romans chapter 10. How can they believe if they don't hear? Never say it's not worth preaching to this person. Never say, oh, she'll never believe. She's so worldly and, you know, she'll never come to Jesus. Uh-uh, Paul says. For my fellow Jews especially, I got to keep preaching. I got to keep telling them about Jesus. They don't want to hear it. They don't like it. Some of them want to stone me for it. Some of them do. <laughs> yeah. But preach. God is actually holding a window of time open mm. for all those that he has chosen to come in. Paul is reassured by this in this chapter. He talked about and he alluded way back to Elijah. And mm. he said, well, all of them have went on to Baal. Remember when that great death threat was put on his life right. and he ran to the mountain. He says, I'm the only one left. And God says, no, no, no. I have 7,000 who have not kissed Baal, yep. who have not bowed to him. And Paul is holding on to that promise. Like, where are these remnant of people that need to come? And God is holding the window open so that all the people can come in and be the new Israel. Yeah, that's a curious thing that Paul says here. And, and sometimes we, we don't pay a lot of attention to it. Th these chapters, 9 through 11, are the most complex parts of Romans. And I think even people who love Romans, and this comes right after that great chapter eight that people sometimes skip over this because this is like really complicated. This is like really hard. So let's just go to Romans 12 and keep going, right? But no, we can't do that. And so, yeah, there is that interesting idea that, well, maybe God holding the window open. I like how you put that there, Daryl. Maybe one of the reasons Israel isn't, not all of Israel at least, is, is following Jesus is that that's given the Gentiles a chance to come in. Yeah. And maybe when enough of them come in, then God will soften up the hearts of Israel, too. That maybe, maybe, Paul, Paul says at one point, maybe all Israel will be saved someday. I can't see it right now, right? They're rejecting Jesus right now. But Paul couldn't stop holding out the hope, maybe, maybe, maybe they all could be saved. That's kind of how desperate he is. He is tortured here because he loves his people, and he wishes that what happened to him on the Damascus Road could happen to all of them. It hasn't yet. But he just can't give up the hope that it might yet. 
And the hope that he holds out is the hope that we should hold out mm. for those that we don't know, even friends, even enemies, that the gospel is life changing and powerful. We need to pray that the gospel gets to everyone it needs to get to, that it goes out on all the world. We also need to pray that he gives us the strength to be able to share that with whatever one we know. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode in just a few minutes, moving on to chapter 11, Romans chapter 11. See what Paul has to say there as he brings this three-chapter-long argument almost with himself to a close, and then we'll see what some takeaways of all this are, so stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And if you're catching us at this part of the episode where we're about to wrap up, we've been talking about God's sovereign choice and predestination in chapters 9 and 10, and we're getting ready to jump into chapter 11. And again, Paul here in this part of Romans is wrestling with something that nobody really saw coming, right? I think the assumption all along for Israel, for the Jews, right, was that when the Messiah comes, everybody's going to follow him. But it didn't turn out that way. Jesus came. He is the Messiah. And a lot of Israel said, no, he's not. No, he's not. Paul said, no, he's not. In fact, Paul made it his mission in life when he was still known as Saul of Tarsus to wipe out the name of Jesus from the earth. So he gets it. He understands. But, but he's, he's wrestling with, boy, we didn't think this was going to happen. And it did. And so at Romans 11, Paul asks, did God then reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God didn't reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. What does God answer him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, and it cannot be based on works, and if it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain, the elect among them did, but the others were hardened. So, again, wrestling with what to make of the fact that Israel, not all of it, accepts Jesus as the Messiah. Is it because of God's rejection? No, they rejected the Messiah. Why do they do that? Well, now here Paul says a hard thing, Daryl. Maybe God hardened their hearts, and that gives us even more mystery. <laughs> So the mystery is very true. And a lot of people kind of skip over these chapters because you can't give a cute Sunday school mm. answer because we really don't understand what is happening in God's sovereign plan here. But if people are being hardened like he did, for example, harden the heart of Pharaoh, it's, it, it alludes to this in this chapter where Pharaoh's heart was hardened so that God could display the wonders and deliver Israel. He was an instrument used at that time. And so what does it mean that our hearts are hardened? I think part 
part of the issue uh, Romans 1 alludes to is that God had revealed these qualities of who he is in creation, like Psalm 19 says, and in salvation, special revelation of Jesus Christ. And they have chosen to not believe in those messages. And that has given them over to these hard heart situations. And interesting, you refer to Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. Uh, my teacher, Neil Planning, pointed out one time that if you actually look at the Hebrew of Exodus, it keeps changing. Sometimes Pharaoh hardens Pharaoh's heart. Sometimes God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And sometimes Pharaoh's heart just hardens itself. So there's not a lot of precision there. But how, how that goes, the, the interaction between what God allows or what God causes, or whatever, it is an area of great mystery. But what we do know, we can go back to Romans 1 in the first part of this series. Paul was referring to all humanity here, but we can refer this to the Jews. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they were fools. And then Romans 1.24, therefore... God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity, the degrading of their bodies. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So God gave them over. So it's sort of like God didn't want people to leave him. God didn't want Adam and Eve to fall. But once they did, God let it be. Then just let the consequences play out. I think the most difficult parts of the passages is that we know God to be all powerful. Mm. We know God to be able to divinely intervene and change things. He could do that, but he doesn't do that. And why is that? I think one of the reasons why is because he doesn't want to override the will that he gave us. If he made us worship him, we'd be robots. It wouldn't work. He wants us to choose him. He wants us to, of our own heart, say we love him. We ask for forgiveness and repentance. And if he intervenes all the time and puts his hand on the scale, so to speak, then we won't get a choice. And, of course, in good uh, Reformed theology, because we're in a Reformed neck of the woods here, you know, we always say that it's God's choice that activates our choice. I mean, left to our own, we, we, we can't even choose, right? But God can activate our free will, will by his choice of us first. And, you know, speaking of Reformed theology, there is the doctrine of election, which we've been talking about here, actually, predestination mm-hmm. and reprobation. But in Reformed theology, we say that election and reprobation are not equally ultimate. That's the theological phrase. In other words, God actively chooses who he saves, but he doesn't actively damn the others. He just lets them be, right? right? So it's like we're all falling over the waterfall of sin, and God regularly keeps plucking us, some of us, out of the waterfall before we hit the rocks below. He doesn't pluck out everybody, not because he put us over the waterfall. We put ourselves over the waterfall, but in his great mercy, he's plucking a few of us out, and the others he just lets be. Now, God being God, could he pluck out everybody? Sure. Yep. At the end of the day, some people say, and it'll turn out he did, but we don't know that for sure now. What we do know is that if you're saved, it's because God plucked you out of that waterfall before you hit the rocks. And Paul wants God to pluck every Israelite Mm, out of their waters right now, if if you want to continue with that metaphor. And so there is a section in this chapter where he believes that all Israel will be saved. But if we we need to couch that definition of Israel and what he said earlier, when he said not all Israel is Israel, Mm -hmm. he's incorporating the Gentiles who are new Israel with the ones who are believing that are Israelites by birth. So when he says all Israel will be saved, he's talking about the new Israel and that he picks up in verse 25. And he says, I 
do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. How do we make of all this? Well, you know, God is God, right? We are at his mercy, literally, but thank God he is full of mercy. And this is meant to comfort us. You know, Daryl, we've been saying that chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans are sort of tortured. And Paul doesn't come to final answers on the questions. And I, I like the preacher who I heard preaching on this one time who said, you know, Paul gets to the point where he's almost out of words. He's like, I want all Israel to be saved. I don't know if we, I just, I just, and so he concludes, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. His paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To God be the glory forever and ever. Paul ends with the doxology because you get to the end of your rope and that's all there is. All glory be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we continue our study with Romans chapter 12. Connect with us now at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit the website, ReframeMinistries.org, for more information and to find many more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.